You can't say that. Traitor. Traitor. She's still sleepy. Are you not well, honorable member? When are you paying the money? Hey, hey. Hong, Hong, Hong. You are not allowed to be emotional. Take your seat. Draw the Lela Pili. That's unparliamentary. Bye. Good day and welcome to another session of the Sunday Times Politics Weekly. Thank you so much for enjoy- for joining us again this week. Um, I'm Amil Amra. I'm sitting in studio this week with Zingisa Mvumvu, um, Zimasa Matiwane, and Kwanita Hunter, who's just joined us from Cape Town, where she's been for about two weeks, haven't you, Q? Welcome back. From <laughs> that Republic. Yeah, she called it citizenship in that department <laughs> of Cape Town. You know, Helen Zillis Republic really treated me well. If you guys trouble me, I'm going back there. <laughs> now, we can't afford to, to, to run this politics desk without Q in the office. No, absolutely. <laughs> because we've got a massive show scheduled for you this week. As I said last week, we're heading up to our big elections coverage starting from March. Um, so we're going to get into that next week. But this week, um, we've got some very pressing issues to talk about. Let's start off with the big news this week. Um, Bosasa has... The gift that keeps on, on giving. giving. <laughs> <laughs> Their bank accounts have been shut down and they've announced that they're going into voluntary liquidation. I mean, this comes up after the state capture inquiry heard weeks and weeks of testimony from Bosasa staff, including Angelo Agrizi, um, who basically spilt all the beans and... and talked about how Basasa for the past almost two decades has been involved in corrupt activities um, with governments and through the Department of Correctional Services. Um, so the banks have finally come out and said and that they're closing Basasa's bank accounts. It's FNB and APSA. And this is very similar to what the banks in South Africa did when it came to the Guptas. Um, Q, what do you make of, of, of the banks closing up Basasa's bank accounts? So I think the explanation that has been given, uh, or, or, or rather the what they're trying to sort of sell to journalists is that unlike the Guptas, Busasa was not so manifest in their money laundering. It was not something you could pick up. And that's what the inquiry heard, that they had a sophisticated network of how money was laundered, um, you know, invo- fake invoices, etc., etc., which is something that probably um, led to the banks not taking action against them. I'm obviously not taking the bank's part, but it, it becomes difficult when, when when you've become a pro at money laundering. And many companies in South Africa um, do, do things like that. But I think the revelations at the state capture inquiry just made it so jarring and, and sort of unearthed how money was laundered. Um, and so what was seemed to be legitimate, um, you know, finances were actually... Uh, proceeds of crime. I remember um, at the state capture inquiry, um, Agrizi and some of his colleagues testified about how they used cash very often mm. um, to pay their bribes, to pay off politicians, um, also f- using, um, also buying gifts for politicians as well, but also using their money in very nefarious means, um, but also doing it very strategically as well. Mm. But some may argue then that the SIU report, which came out in around 2008, 2009, mm fingered Busasa and, and basically laid bare all these allegations mm. back then. Mm. Was that not enough for the banks to take yeah. action, um, Zingisa? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's perfect in my view. I, I have a, a very problematic trust uh, relationship with the banks, and it doesn't even emanate from big issues like this, even on the issues of uh, fraudulent uh, debit orders. I'm very <laughs> suspicious of the banks uh, yeah. and how they handle the issue. But coming back to the topic of the day, I, I I I absolutely don't understand why banks, as you put it, uh, take this long to to come to these issues. I think the banks are uh, 
I don't I want to say they was together in the crooked place but it seems like <laughs> yeah, they was their complicity yeah. yeah because if you think about it, it I mean Busasa was making hundreds of millions to be excluded from those type of transactions as a bank hundreds of millions of rands of transactions Absolutely. is really really uh, you know important as for you as a as a bank so it is about them it is about making money and uh, I mean for me I I I I would like to be proven otherwise but I believe that the banks always know about these issues but they pretend not to see them as long as they no one is making noise about it until someone makes noise about it as is the case now do, do you feel us. do you feel sort of that when it becomes a reputational risk for that bank then in dealing jump. with these clients that that's when they start to jump that's out when they it. jump that's when but they jump it's to save face basically I think I think we also need uh, stricter <coughs> laws in terms of regulating our financial institutions because it looks like they are just doing as they please mm-hmm. uh, in in terms of of not being able to flag suspicious financial transactions i it doesn't make sense to me how they cannot see it i mean they are qualified to see it they should be able to see it and alert the authorities so they are experts in the financial sector so the in fact they are supposed to be the ones who are telling us that companies so and so are involved in illegal transactions as such as this uh, bank a and b we have decided to close down their accounts before these things come to commissions like mm-hmm. the zone of commission we, we do have things like the fic um, who do investigations into these matters and then pass it on to the NPA, if I'm mm. not mistaken, Q. But the NPA then, mm. were, we're not doing anything about it mm. as well. So what do you make of that? Yeah, so I think I think there's just, you know, overall institutions have been decimated. So so that's why people could get away with what, what you know, what they've done. But I found it fascinating to look at the, you know, the, the statement released by African Global, which is what Bososa is now known as. And they're basically um, blaming the media <laughs> for their liquidation, uh, their voluntary liquidation. Now, there's two things to this. Firstly, their contracts with the state is under review. They are going to be blacklisted by government. And if you were um, a legitimate business, which is the same argument put up, you know, with the, at the time of the, of, of the Guptas in 2016, if you are a legitimate business and you, you, you do legitimate business with the state and other entities... Um, the government b- blacklisting you shouldn't, uh, you know, yep. put you in the red. And then also now the banks have cu- have 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 cut their uh, relationship with you. Again, they wouldn't have done it if you were innocent. So they're now coming out and saying, you know, um, jobs at risk and basically playing into um, that that sentiment that the economy is doing so badly and this is going to be added to the woes of the country because now jobs are being lost. We've heard this before. Mm. We literally heard it when the New Age was shutting down or, or when the Guptas. But the reality of this of this situation is that it has nothing to do with the workers. It's a financial decision to go into voluntary liquidation to save the directors of Busasa um, mm. from from being affected by it. So this this is by no means. I mean, if they could have shredded information and and you know, s- sort of stolen information from the NPA um, or, or shredded information at the time of the of the SIU investigation, this by no means is a you know, genuine attempt to to now you know go into liquidation and you know culminate stuff and just you know bring an end to that era. It's a matter of just saving themselves. See, the thing is, um, if if, as you said, Basasa was doing legitimate business, um, you would have more than one client. Obviously, Basasa generates a lot of its of its money, or almost all of its, all money, of its money, from yeah. government contracts. Mm. And you got to wonder how one company 
And not in wonder, but we've been shown how one company has managed to gain all these contracts, millions and millions of rands, hundreds of millions of rands, actually. So if you take away that, that pot of gold, almost, the company is left with nothing else. Absolutely. So this liquidation is not something that, it's, it's not about the banks or about anything else. It's once the government retracts their money, Pusas has nothing else to give. Absolutely. Shall we move on to another story that Juanita wrote this weekend at Sunday Times? Um, the ANC vetting process, which looked at its top candidates for parliament, has rejected 32 of the top nominees. Um, in there, I saw names like Vincent Smith, um, who was an alleged recipient of um, Busasa upgrades to his home. Um, Nomvula Makanyone has basically been involved in almost everything nefarious in our country. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a few others. Q, do you want to tell us about the story? Yeah, so, so the thing is, right, the ANC this time around had to be really strict about their candidates. Zamasi, Z- remember 2016 when there was local government elections, there was all sorts of weird people on their list, right? So, so, and then, I mean, obviously before that, 2014. Now, the, they made the undertaking, it was a big fight in January, um, about what is the criteria for vetting. And after some sort of, sort of haggling between the different factions in the NEC, it, it came out that they have to also include ethical considerations. Mm, at last. Yes, because, <laughs> because I mean, just, I mean, you, no one, yes, it's right, Numbula Mokunyani may not have a criminal record, but that's because people don't understand that there is no criminal justice system. It's, it's broken. So, therefore, people implicated in many, many crimes will not be able to be, I mean, will not be convicted because there is the criminal, that's the whole reason why the criminal ju- justice system was decimated. But anyways, so so they've come up with, they came up with this sort of criteria and, and it was a strict vetting process. And as a result of that strict vetting process, now remember they, there's names for parliament, there's names for the NCOP, there's names for the, the nine legislatures, right? So these are like hundreds and hundreds of ANC leaders on these lists. So they had to all fill in these forms, accept nomination, and then answer these questions. As a result of this, 32 names were then flagged to say these these people on this list is going to give us some trouble. And then there was a discussion with the ANC, ANC Integrity Commission. And the ANC Integrity Commission was really, really um, uncertain about their role in this. Now, remember... Um, they really haven't clarified what their real role is. Mm. Everyone has said, but but basically they get their delegated powers from the NEC. So only if the NEC refers a matter to them can they then step in. So they had a meeting last week, and then it was said to them that we have this list of 32 names. The Integrity Commission will then have to um, go through it. At the time, they, um, we wrote the story, the Integrity Commission had not been given these names. But I think... What's important here is that the party is trying to um, do away with the phenomenon where corrupt people, people, unethical people, continue being in leadership positions because they are popular. Mm. But let's look at, Simasa, maybe you could answer this question for us. Um, A lot of those 32 names or some of those people are aligned to various factions in the ANC. Um, What does this sort of do to that? unity thing that the ANC is speaking about where um, it may seem or some people are saying that um, Ramaphosa's people are not going after Zuma's people. Um, if if ANC leaders are honest, <clears throat> despite of factions, if they are honest about working for the renewal and uniting the party and you know being the leader in government if they win the elections and, and uniting South Africa, there's nothing wrong with removing dodgy people. 
we don't want to be led by dodgy people. So, um, but then again, the, those dodgy people are very popular in the ANC. If you look at Malusi Gigaba, for instance. Um, but uh, Malus is not popular, guys. I but you see, the, the, the other thing, I mean, uh, with with this, me, I'm I'm quite skeptical. I don't I don't wanna be. Uh, I, I want to be honest about it. About this guy, I'm not skeptical about cleaning up. But when it starts at the top, it usually it becomes very problematic because I can tell you the rot in the ANC. In fact, corruption is the glue that keeps the ANC together and it starts right at the branch level where there's a, a manipulation of membership, uh, vote buying and all those kind of issues. Therefore, if ANC is serious about any renewal, it ought to start right from the from bottom, the bottom at the branches. In fact, you need to introduce a policy uh, to, to start asking the question, who becomes an ANC member? Because now, people have used this ANC membership, as I say, because they've seen that if you're in the ANC, in terms of corrupt activities, you will thrive. So people join the ANC for the wrong reasons. Perhaps you need to, to, to start right from the beginning, who becomes a member of the ANC? You vet from that particular this, process. This is that through the eye of the needle slogan. <laughs> which yeah, the yeah but the eye of the needle is, is the size of Kulubusa, so everyone <laughs> can just go <laughs> ANC is seen as an employment or a get-rich get scheme, Quick scheme. You know, yes. by a lot of people. And it's it's important that they do vet people, obviously, it, at, at branch level and take actions against people who steal branches or who buy votes and stuff. But when it comes to them being in government, I don't care about what happens at the branch. If they get to parliament, I want them to be ethical. Mm. But they can't uh, be ethical all of a sudden if they were not ethical in the first place, if they were allowed to but thrive. Yeah, what I'm saying is I don't want us to concern ourselves a lot about what happens in the organization at branch level and... Uh, I understand the effects of it in the ANC leadership because this whole thing becomes entrenched. But if now the ANC is saying that these people who are unethical should not be in the leadership in government, then cool. They can be branch leaders if they want to, but not, not next to my tax man. But they will still ad- employ people at administrative level, at municipalities, because, I mean, we know uh, most of the people who are employed in government literally have a uh, membership of the but ANC. You, but you see, Rumvo, um, um, is that you, it's such a huge problem. It's like this massive cancer, right? Yeah. So do you do you then say, okay, we're going to we're going to cut the whole cancer out and then kill or whatever. I mean, that's something we can't do. Um, as I'm saying we as ordinary South Africans, right? It's so cancerous. But what you can do is is attack the part that directly impacts other people, the contagious part of it, you understand, mm-hmm. of whatever diseases this body has. So the thing about about dealing with it on a, on, a, on a parliamentary level is that the fish rots from the head. And so what happens is you can't you can't you can't really police things like people getting money um, underhand you know to influence certain things those things you really can't I mean there are so many people that have their that have their their hands in so many pies but I think what this process and I'm I'm by no means you know optimistic or delusional that this thing is gonna <laughs> weed out these people yeah. off the list but I think it really sets an important tone that was not there before that says you know it it, it puts a person in an awkward situation when you fill in a form were you ever involved in any vote rigging um, you know manipulation or have you received any money? What was you? What is your your monthly expenses? And do you receive any money outside of yours? You know that kind of thing. People can lie, obviously, and fill it in, but it creates a certain level of um, 
consciousness where you, you know, you sort of think twice. It may not be that, you, I mean, if you corrupt, you corrupt. But it almost creates this level of people thinking twice before they get involved in all of these things. And I think for me that was the most important bit of this Agritzi testimony is that people are talking about it. Um, you know, someone someone said to me, yeah, if we have to lock up, um, you know, everyone involved in Busasa, you know, there won't be an NEC <laughs> left, you know. And, and, and the thing is, it's just for me. It's that it's and 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 and, and the thing about the Ramaphosa presidency. A lot of people, you know, over exaggerate what he does, and he's like the savior of mankind. And I don't believe that, but I do think that you need a leader that says certain things. Says certain things, and and I give you an example, right? Why did you stop at saying certain things and not go on to? Yeah. <laughs> <certain> <laughs> no, because I didn't want to be an imbongi of Ramaphosa. <laughs> but 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 the thing is. Say, say, take ESCOM for example. Mm. We had a president who denied that there was anything wrong at ESCOM for years. Mm. We had a president who did not, did not, you know, say things like, you know, our institutions have failed. And when you have a head of state that is that whose head is, you know, under and not and not really admitting to these faults. Yes, admit, Ramaphosa admitting to the faults in, in government doesn't change the problem, but it's one step closer to changing the problem. My understanding that these are these are the problems. These are the issues that we have in ESCO. We have failing infrastructure. We have we have someone who who kind of understands it, and then you have people below below them, below the president, ministers and bureaucrats who have to now take responsibility. Okay, the president has conceded that there's a problem here. What is your role in that problem and how you guys are going to fix it? Well, yeah, no, I, I agree with you too. But you see, there could also be uh, political implications for, for this particular move. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier, that the ANC, the only clue that keeps it together is corruption and fraud and all these funny shenanigans they get involved in. Now, when you move in such a way that you want, I mean, as you were saying, that joke, that if uh, that, that agrees was to sing for any longer, there wouldn't be any ANC, <laughs> NEC left. Now, imagine these people uh, that are the so-called rotten potatoes, there's plenty of them. What if they form a block outside uh, the hegemonic faction of the time that seems to be cleaning up and they launch and mount a fight back against what is because they want that ANC that is uh, corrupt and everything because it benefits them. Now, if you, but I'm not saying uh, it's a good thing, obviously, that the regime of the day sees it a reason, but those are the political implications mm. they may have to deal yeah. with uh, quite soon than later. Ramaphosa becoming unpopular. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, if you, if you, and, and that's a discussion I think we really need to have is. Is the man willing to be unpopular? Is he willing to be that leader that says, um, you know, bugger it all, I'm going to be unpopular, I'm going to take unpopular decisions? And and I'm with the, I think ESCOM is going to be the litmus mm. test. ESCOM yes, is yes, really yes. going to be the litmus test to say, it's an unpopular decision to go head to head with, with unions. Yes. That's why we are in the cogmire that we are. The reason why state capture uh, persisted or the, or, or the Zupta phenomenon persisted for so long was because they had all the key players on board with them. Mm. Now, if you want to go and punch labor in the face uh, in trying to fix things, you have a serious a problem, serious on, your problem. F on, your, on your plate. Yeah. Well, let's move on to then. We were talking about, as according to you brought up uh, ESCOM, and let's talk about that for a second. Um, load shedding seems to be quieting down slightly. We've got our lights on for a little while. But we that's at an expensive... At uh, uh, a very expensive cost. Yeah. 
And um, the big talk about ESCOM right now, um, leaving the load shedding aside and all the implications that it's going through, is the fix-up. And Ramaphosa sort of um, his his project of unbundling unbundling ESCOM into three. Um, different parts. Um, not a very popular decision from the unions as well. A lot of fight back coming from them saying that they'll actually go to war about it um, in their terms. And it, it, as you said, it's an unpopular decision. But at this time, with the situation that ESCOM is in, we need something radical to put it in the EFF or, or, or in political terms. We need radical change. We need something that's not contemporary, we need something that's not going to be easy, but mm. because of the state that ESCOM finds itself in, we need something on that scale to fix it, yeah. or to save it at least. So so let me paint a very dark picture of ESCOM, <laughs> excuse the pun. <laughs> so ESCOM has been this massive power utility. There, There isn't a model like ESCOM in the world, right? And a, a util- power utility that's state-owned that's so massive, right? That's number one. Number two is it has the historic problems of aging fleet, no maintenance, um, you know, bad decision making, right? That's the, that's mm. that's inherent problems. It's been around, right? Then you had the state capture phenomenon. And what the state capture phenomenon did was it used borrowed money yeah. to steal A and B to appease people. Now, the thing about ESCOM is that major- a lot, a big chunk of our sovereign debt as a country mm. belongs to ESCOM. Meaning, if ESCOM both goes bust, South Africa goes bust. That's what everyone just needs to understand. That yeah. If ESCOM fails, South Africa's economy tanks. That's, it's, it's the two is related, right? And so, so the thing about ESCOM was, when, when it was under the, the, the era of those who were implicated in state capture, they realized that they would not be able to eat unless people within lower down in the indis, um, in the in the utility were was also part of some sort of of um, you know were in on it, mm. right? And the second thing was to be close to labor because yeah. if labor's against you, you're obviously going to be your days are numbered, right? So so the thing was they were approving um, bonuses hundreds of millions of rands in bonuses, obviously, when ESCOM was not was losing money every year. But the most important thing, and I think which is why you'll understand why the unions are fighting so badly against this unbundling, ESCOM, which is a power utility, it, its job is to provide power, has these little entities as part of it, which is home loans. ESCOM employees can get home loans for a fraction of what they would um, uh, interest rate compare you to what you'd get from a bank. And wow. I imagine that. That's wow. taxpayer-supported wow. home loans. You can get a car financed, 100% car financed, no deposit, at terms that are ridiculous. There's an ESCOM insurance entity that you, as an employee of ESCOM, you can get insurance at a ridiculously low ro- It's ro- Christmas, rate. they're by mm-hmm. ESCOM. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so you, so you're understanding where I'm going with this. So now, when Ramaphosa says we need unbundling, the reason why the, the simple part of unbundling ESCOM is that it's too big, the risk is too high, because we kept borrowing money and that money was m- not used efficiently. They were prepaying for coal in, you know, Tegeta and the Guptas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I know I'm going on for a bit, but I just thought it's, it's, it's. No, it's, context is important. Yeah, it's so yeah. important. So, so the thing is. ESCOM is in this huge, huge financial quagmire that's literally risks 
taking the whole of South Africa down with it. And it's 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 more serious than you can actually think, right? But but then you have people that now that now say um, unbundling ESCOM may lead to privatization, and the reality is it can. It can lead to privatization. You unbundle it now, you test the waters, in three years you come forward, you, you introduce a silent equity partner. These things can happen. And the real risk of that is that you're going to have massive job losses. There are thousands of people in ESCOM, managers in ESCOM, that have no serious function in the organization. Mm. There are thousands, hundreds and thousands of people that are just there with no serious function as to why they need to be there, Right. So you're going to have massive job cuts. In an economy like this, you can't, you can't afford it. You absolutely yeah. can't afford it. But the main issue, the main, main issue, I think, is that there's, there's a whole network of eating that is going to be affected by the sunburn thing. In reality, if the president says there's assures labor, there's not going to be privatization. I can give you my word, there's not going to be privatization. And I've assured the board or I've told the board there cannot be job cuts why are you fighting this unbundling effectively it's a structural thing in the sense that it's on paper where it says okay you have you have ESCOM utility which is a big company under it you have a board for ESCOM um, generation ESCOM um, transmission transmission and ESCOM distribution. distribution right so you have a board 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 CEO 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 reports to the group head reports then to the shareholder minister done you understand? It's supposed to be a simple, simple thing. But now when you look at whatever's uh, at stake, when you look at the fact that ESCOM wants to sell off these entities, these home loans and these cut, all of that debt, obviously there are people that are now going to get jittery about it. So the reality is that it's almost like a double-edged sword because you cannot afford... You, cause, I mean, you're dealing with people who are saying... If I don't benefit, the whole of ESCOM must fall, and therefore the whole of the whole of the South African economy must fall. But if you look at it, ESCOM, as you said, is is, is massive, and 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 it's an empower. It's 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 a power on its own. Um, should ESCOM have that sort of power, though? I mean, every South Africa's economy rides on the back of whether ESCOM functions or not, mm. and to have one entity with that much power. Is risky. It's mm. extremely risky. So Zingisa, independent power producers is another is the other big talking point at the moment. Do you think that's the way South Africa should be going while fixing ESCOM? Yeah, well, definitely we we need uh, diversification, as they call it, if if you may put it that way. But uh, currently, it should also uh, be put out that also IPPs are not assisting ESCOM. I mean, we've heard several times about how ridiculous is what they charge compared to what. Uh, you know, ESCOM pays, you know, for, for it. So so those kind of issues also ought to be addressed. But as you say, ESCOM being a complete monopoly as is right now, it's not really assisting everyone. But also, what are the other options for that? You open it up for competition. Uh, competition, uh, of course, then you'll have to extend it to the private sector. But we know once the private sector controls uh, in terms of how you price things, then we are also threading on something very dangerous there in that now you have no more control of uh, determining how much power costs in the country and that may hit hard to the poorest of the poor if you if you get uh, my drift mm. in that regard. So it's it's not as easy as 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 it's made to seem and it's very complicated and and, and difficult but as, as, and, and, as and the problems of with that also is that um ESCOM's also in a situation where they can't generate enough income or g- generate enough cash. Um 
creating more competition for it <laughs> might be the thing that sinks it completely. So it's a catch twenty two situation yeah. again. So the thing about, uh, I mean, we we're not in a space where you can create competition mm-hmm. for Eskom. That's like com- that's like far fetched thing mm-hmm. for now, right? The IPPs was just like an ent- I mean, and the and the reality is that everything is 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 looked at in silos. So the IPPs were looked at IPPs, not as part of a bigger, mm-hmm. you know, energy mix. Mm. You know, Eskom, excl- you know that 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 kind of thing, right? So that that's the one part of it. Then the other part of it is that. Um, Eskom, it's it's too far gone. Yeah. It needs money now, right? It, it it needs lots and lots of money. So the finance minister is going to give a guarantee. He's going to announce a bailout for Eskom, but it's not going to be enough. Yeah. And you have to go to the marketplace and say, um, how much how much loans can you then raise? And 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 the thing about um, people who, who who lend you money is that there's terms and conditions, and they say. It's too risky to give to give money into this bottomless pit. So so cut it up into three pieces, and then we you understand. Then we know where our money is going, and there's a, some sort of guarantee to recoup that money. So so basically, that decision to unbundle wasn't so much a political decision, but it was a financial decision, in the sense that you're not going to be able to get fund. You're not going to be able to 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 pay these workers that are actually uh, uh, resisting your efforts um, to come up with with the, with the solution. And the other thing is, I was speaking to someone who was on the ESCOM advisory panel, and they were telling me that there's no alternate option. Kusatu is 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 fighting against it, but they haven't come up with something concrete to say, okay, this is the plan. This is this is what we propose is the way that will solve ESCOMs. Problems, and I heard Kazato President Zingi Salosi saying, um, "We know what we must do. They must just do it. But what is it must, uh, that Eskom must do to turn the, to turn the wheel around? Um, you know, after it being destroyed for so long, how? What? What are the options? What if you don't unbundle? Where do you get money from? So it's a matter of we must not unbundle. Um, so that the South African taxpayer must um, must must take more risk." The economy must be further strained. The sovereign debt must be increased. Um, the risk to 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 um, to our economy must be, you know, multiplied simply because we disagree on 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 one aspect of of how to solve the problem. Because I, as an individual, Konita Hunter, working as a labor leader in Eskom, or that's where I operate in. Will seek to lo- w- 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 you know stands to lose from this, and so therefore there needs to be this type of you know massive uh, consequences because I don't benefit from it. Okay, I think that's all we have time that's for so today. So depressing, eh? Yeah, it really. <laughs> is Sorry to leave it on a depressing note, but unfortunately that is exactly where we stand as a country right now, and we're all sort of hoping that Finance Minister Tito Mbeni has a structured plan or has some sort of plan um, to deal with ESCOM going forward. But thank you so much for listening to us this week. Um, We'll be back next week at the same time. Um, Just sort of getting things going into our election coverage next week as well. Um, What to expect as we're going forward is another thing I want to tell you all about is that what we're going to be doing is we're going to be dissecting the show into a few segments this time. We're going to be unbundling the podcast, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And into three. (laughs) Into three as well. So so three seems to be the magic number in the country right now. But the very important part of what we're going to be doing going into um, elections is we're going to be talking very specific, specifically 
specifically about policy. We're going to be looking at the big um, political parties in South Africa and talking about their policies on various issues like health, education, um, finance and everything else. So join us for that. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for joining me here in the studio as well. It's been a pleasure as always. And we'll be back next week.